Hey everyone, this is Yvette Hampton. Welcome back to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. I'm back today with Mr. Steve Lambert, and we are having a great conversation this week. We're just getting some great encouragement from Steve. As a veteran homeschool dad, he and his wife, Jane, have been homeschooling. I shouldn't say have been homeschooling. You're not still homeschooling. You no, began actually... homeschooling <laughs> your kids in 1981, though you are still helping a whole lot of people to homeschool their kids today, which I think is just an amazing. I love that God has a special call on everyone's life. No matter who we are, no matter what we're doing, God has put each one of us in a place. We talk about this, you guys, all the time. God has created each one of us on purpose and for a purpose. And this is what God has created Steve and his wife Jane for, is to to be in the homeschool world, to raise up godly men and women who are now raising up more godly men and women. And they are doing a great job of helping us as homeschool parents who are in the middle of it right now to do that effectively with our kids. Um, before we jump back into our conversation, I want to thank our sponsor today, CTC Math. We are so grateful for them and their support of this podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the sponsorships um, that God has provided for us. Truly, it's it's all by God's amazing grace that he has provided um, what we have, uh, the sponsors. And so CTC Math has been with us for quite some time. We are thankful for them. If you're looking for a great math curriculum program, online math program, go to ctcmath.com and check them out. Um, Steve, thank you so much for being back with us today. Um, At the end of yesterday's episode, I said I wanted to talk today about becoming great teachers. And I know this is a topic that you're really passionate about. And so I want you to tell me, because this is a question that I ask myself pretty much on a daily basis. How can I be a good teacher to my kids? How can I teach them well? And I don't mean just the academics. I don't mean just how can I teach them to sit down and write and to do math and to learn science, but how can I teach them all the things that I want them to learn before they leave my home and move into adulthood? Great question. It's one that we all ought to be asking ourselves. You know, if I say that, if I'm going to say a phrase here in a second, each of you will see something entirely different in your imagination, and yet they'll all be the same. Are you ready? Yep. My favorite teacher. Got it? Yep, got good. it. Yeah, we instantly can remember our favorite teacher. Um, many of the rest of them, not only did we not learn anything in their class, we don't, in so many cases, don't even remember their names. And yet they spend hundreds of hours preparing lessons and talking to us in class and giving assignments, and we don't even remember their names. Your kids are in a unique position because, for the most part, your kids have exactly one teacher. One teacher. <laughs> so you're either going to become their favorite teacher or you're going to become largely forgettable in terms of academics and, and in the role of teacher. And that's a, that's a sobering thought. And so I want you to become your kid's favorite teacher. And... We often think of teaching um, skills. If I said, make me a list of teaching skills. What what skills does a teacher need to have? Well, um, uh, keeping track of grades, right? No, that's that's a clerical skill. Uh, Assigning assigning work, right? No, that's a clerical skill too. Um, Lecturing, no, that's not really a teaching skill. That's a one-way communication and teaching requires a two-way dialogue. Teaching skills have nothing to do with the administrative skills that take most of the time of classroom teachers. But again, if that's all we experienced growing up, that's all we know. Jane and I once upon a time toyed with the idea of writing a textbook for parents to teach teachers, to teach parents how to become teachers. And we thought, you know what would be great? 
let's go to the university, uh, University of Missouri, and go to their bookstore because they were open stacks back then and you could just wander through. And let's go back to the School of Education and let's look through all the textbooks the teachers learn from and we'll get all of the best textbooks on learning how to teach. And we <laughs> discovered that there were none, zero. zero, not a single book on how to teach. They were almost exclusively, and this was some years ago, books on how to deal with administration, how to deal with frustrated parents, how to deal with a disruptive classroom, how to deal with uh, special needs kids, how to deal with, had nothing to do with teaching. So to, to boil it down in its simplest form, I often try to tell parents that the three things that will be most helpful is to the concept of making things relevant, interesting, and accessible to children. Because education is a two-way discussion. You know, in the Socratic method of Socrates, education was a two-way dialogue. And it's one thing for me to lecture you and say, boom, boom, boom. But it's another for me to say, what do you think about so-and-so? And you'd say, well, I don't know. I, I was thinking this. And then I say, what if I told you that, ta-da, 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 and you'd say, oh, well, I hadn't considered that. Well, in that case, and so education becomes this two-way experience. And uh, as you make learn to make information accessible to your children and relevant to their lives, and capture their imagination or capture their interest, then real learning begins to take place. And in fact, if you fail to do that, it's like pushing a rope uphill for a long, long time. But if you get that thing figured out, it's like, I would remember the commercial several years ago, the, I think it was an insurance company where the, the uh, um, I think they were hamsters or something, I can't remember, sticking little propellers out the window of the car going wee down the hill. <laughs> And learning just begins to take place all the time. It's not something you do between 10 and 12 and one and three. It's something that happens at bedtime, at bath time, on a walk at church on Sunday in the grocery store. Every opportunity is a learning opportunity. And genuine teachers learn that early on and begin the, to, to set aside that old model that learning takes place and requires a textbook and a test and a grade and takes place during school hours. But learning is something that happens constantly and it's a two-way dialogue that happens between parents and children. I always tell people, when all else fails, when you're having the worst homeschool day of your life, read aloud. Yeah. Get a great book and read aloud. And if that doesn't work again tomorrow, read aloud. You may have a bad day. You may have a bad week. You may be in bed with morning sickness, and your mother-in-law is uh, in hospice care right now, and your husband is working two jobs. You know what? The world's not going to fall apart if you set some of the textbooks aside for the next several weeks, next couple of months, read aloud. Because out of that reading is birthed uh, everything from knowledge to wisdom to heart knowledge. There's so much that comes out of great literature. And by choosing great books, um, you and your kids can go on an amazing learning adventure. And that's what great teachers figure out. It's not the administrative skills of, of test taking and score record keeping and all that. Those are not teaching skills. Those are clerical skills, administrative skills. But if you think back to your favorite teacher, I can almost guarantee you that they read aloud to you in class. They mm -hmm. either took you out into the world or they brought the, or the world into your classroom. They captured your imagination. Maybe I, one of my favorite teachers, maybe my all time favorite teacher was a history teacher and I'd hated history my whole life but he would crouch down behind his desk and act out the Civil War because he was a rebel sniper behind his desk or he would act out, you know, uh, Washington on the bow of the ship crossing the Delaware River on Christmas night. And so suddenly it came to life and that's what teaching's about. And the other thing I want to talk about is, 
and it sounds a little self-promoting because unit study is what we do, but I want to talk about unit studies for just a minute because great teachers um, figure out, I think, that we don't have to teach every subject separately, separately. Right. Uh, to each child. If you get a degree in education, educators divide subject areas into two categories, vertical and horizontal areas of teaching, or sometimes uh, we call them uh, skill areas and content areas. So skill areas and vertical learning areas are the same thing. And those would be basically reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm -hmm. And the two characteristics of those are they're totally sequential. You can't start math with quadratic equations. You have right. to start with learning your single digits. Same thing with reading. You can't start with the Gettysburg Address. You start with the vowel sounds, consonants. Um, and so they're completely sequential. And once you've mastered them, you're finished. Mm -hmm. You didn't get up this morning and practice your times tables in case you had to multiply something today. Uh, you learned that when you were in fourth grade. You haven't thought about it since. All the other subjects are the content areas or the horizontal areas of learning. And the two characteristics of those areas, and we're talking here about history, science, geography, creative writing, astronomy, architecture, nutrition, anything else you can think of besides reading, writing, and arithmetic are the content areas. And there's two unique characteristics. Number one, you do not have to study those things sequentially. It's not essential that you have a comprehensive knowledge of the Peloponnesian Wars before you can study World War II. Sooner or later, you ought to learn something about both, but they're not sequential. And number two, you never learn all there is to learn about any of those subjects. So if you know someone who has a, a postgraduate work in astronomy and you say, wow, you must know everything there is to know about the solar system, the first thing he's going to tell you is, oh, my gosh, the more we learn, the more we realize we don't even have any scratch right. the surface. There's so much we don't know. So when you figure that out, you begin to teach um, reading, writing, and math to each child progressively wherever they are, um, and even identical twins may be at different levels. And you can teach all the other subjects together as a family. And whether you've got a 17-year-old and a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old, you can all begin learning about the westward expansion or, or uh, you know, whatever the subject is together. Now, each has different expectations at different levels, but suddenly teaching becomes so much more effective and so much more efficient when you learn to differentiate between content areas and skill areas of learning. And the ones that are subject that are accessible by unit study are everything except reading, writing, and math. And you're, you just saved yourself a ton of money and a ton of hours right. by creating your own one-room schoolhouse. And that's effectively the best way that I know to teach kids. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And that's exactly what we do for most of our subjects. I've got uh, two girls who are almost five years apart, and we do a ton of our learning together. And it's great. You know, my my oldest daughter grasps more of what my younger daughter grasps on a lot of things because she's older and sure. more advanced in her thinking. Um, but it, it's, it is the best way to teach your kids. And, and, you know, and I think moms today get so overwhelmed because they feel like they have to teach all the different subjects individually to all of their kids individually. And they're like, it can't be done. And we're like, yep, you're right. It can't be done. It's just no, too if difficult. You have, if you have five kids, there aren't enough hours in the day and there aren't enough nope. dollars in your checkbook to buy five complete sets of curriculum and teach five different subjects right. at the same time. Can't be done. Right, right, right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. As we try to impart a biblical worldview in our children and equip them to be salt and light in an increasingly secular culture, we need tools to explain how the scriptures mold our view of every subject we teach. We need homeschool curriculum that shows how the Lord rules over everything we learn while stretching our children to follow Him wherever He leads. 
Learn how BJU Press Homeschool has served thousands of Christian homeschool families just like yours by visiting BJUPressHomeschool.com. Are you ready to restore our constitutional republic? Patriot Academy is on the front lines of the mission to educate, train, and inspire millions of citizens to know and live their freedoms. With courses and materials from America's Constitution coach, Rick Green, Patriot Academy's Constitution training will equip you to be a leader in your community. You don't have to know anything about history, the Constitution, or the law to get started. The courses and coach training are free. Find a class today or sign up to be a Constitution coach at patriotacademy.com. Again, that's patriotacademy.com. We are back with Steve. Um, we have a few minutes left, and I want to talk about, I mean, we've talked about teaching, you know, the academic part. How do we teach to the heart of our children? Great question, and and ultimately the eternal question. The rest of it all is wood, hay, and stubble in the end, whether they can do a quadratic equation or not. <laughs> you know, my experience has been that kids aren't listening to much of anything we say, sadly, but they're watching everything we do, sadly. <laughs> uh, kids are great observers and matters of the heart are taught uh, and they're caught more than they're taught. When they watch how we conduct our lives, that's where matters of the heart are transmitted to our children, not by lecturing, not, not by Sunday school, I mean, that's a great thing, not by youth group on Wednesday night, that's a great thing too. But in the end, your church has 40 minutes with them on Sunday and 40 minutes with them on Wednesday night. And if you're homeschooling, you've got probably 50, 60, 70 waking hours with them. And if your life isn't reflecting what they're being taught in those 40 minute blocks at church, they understand that. And, you know, one of my favorite stories, Jane and I have, traveled extensively over the years, and, and I love history, and so, somehow those two came together with a story that I came across many years ago, uh, actually by Paul Harvey. He's been long since dead, but Paul Harvey used to be on the radio, and I, he'd do little five-minute sections, and I always enjoyed what he had to say. How many of you ever played the game Battleship? Remember that game you play with mm -hmm. your kids? That's yep. where you call out to your kid, this square, is that where your battleship is? And your kid lies and says no and quickly moves his battleship. You know the game I'm talking about? That's, yep. that's the game I'm talking about. Okay. Well, that's how uh, naval war was conducted uh, back in World War II. We didn't have satellites. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have all the sophisticated communications things that we have today. And so when you were... Uh, at sea in the World War II, you had a task force of ships. And in the center of that task force was a carrier on which were based aircraft. And those aircraft became your eyes and your ears. They became your offense and your defense. So you would launch a sortie of planes. They would go out, search around, going out further and further out, looking for enemy planes, looking for enemy ships to attack, looking for enemy planes that might be coming to attack you. The goal in naval warfare is to sink the other guy's carrier because if you sink his carrier, you knock out about five to 6,000 sailors and you put an end to his air crew because now there's no runway out in the middle of the Pacific. When he runs out of gas, he's gonna splash in the, in the, in the ocean. And so that process uh, in World War II um, became the way war was conducted. It was a young naval aviator named Butch O'Hare and Butch, was stationed in the uh, Pacific on a carrier in 1942. 
he took off with his shipmates, uh, his, his air crew, and they were flying around uh, looking, and he noticed that his fuel gauge appeared to be almost empty. And so he kind of tapped on it. Is it is it stuck? Is there something wrong? He calls his commanding officer. He said, sir, what do I do? It looks like I'm out of fuel. And he said, turn that plane around. It's an expensive aircraft. The taxpayers bought it. Get back to that ship safely, quickly, son. He says, aye, aye, sir. And he turns and heads back. And as he's heading back towards his aircraft carrier in the distance, he sees something sparkling on the horizon. And as he kind of edges over that direction to take a closer look, he sees a, an entire squadron of Japanese torpedo bombers coming directly on a course, headed directly for his carrier. So he's all alone. He realizes, you know, I've got to do something about this. So he flies off in that direction. And in the next five minutes, he becomes an, an ace. He shoots down five Japanese planes in the next five minutes. Wow. Uh, when he runs out of ammunition, he begins using his plane as an offensive weapon, trying to knock the tail off one, one more of these Japanese planes before, uh, before he crashes into the Pacific. He's so persistent that they conclude this guy's crazy, this American aviator. They turn and fly away, never seeing the American task force just ahead. He flies back, lands on the ship. They pull the gun cameras out of his wing, which confirm that he has five kills because every time you pull the trigger on the gun, it, it shoots video or not video film. Uh, if you've ever flown uh, in and out of Chicago, you've been to O'Hare Airport, named after Butch O'Hare. Oh. For his courageous acts, there's pictures. That, there's actually a plane like his. Oh wow! Uh, his plane doesn't exist because he came home to a hero's welcome, sold war bonds in 1943, went back for a second tour of duty, and disappeared and was never seen again. Uh, he crashed somewhere at sea or was killed in combat. But a plane oh. like his is hanging there, and there's photographs of. There's his uniform is hanging there. He had a Congressional Medal of Honor and Naval Cross. There's pictures of President Roosevelt in his wheelchair, shaking uh, Bush O'Hare's hand congratulating him and asking him to come home and sell war bonds as an American war hero. Uh, here was a guy who was willing to give up his life for his fellow man. Hold that thought for just a minute. Let me tell you another story okay. about a young uh, attorney named Easy Eddie. Eddie only had one client. Uh, his name was Al Capone. He was on permanent retainer to Al Capone. And as you can imagine, he was privy to a lot of information that Al didn't want anybody else to know. And over time, Easy Eddie's name became synonymous with Al Capone. Uh, this isn't a political comment, but if you think of, for example, uh, Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel, they both came out of Chicago politics. They were best buds. When Obama was elected, Rahm Emanuel became his chief of staff. After his first term, he came back to Chicago, was elected mayor of Chicago. You can't think of one without thinking of the other because their, their careers paralleled. So Easy Eddie... His name became synonymous with Al Capone, and that didn't particularly bother him because Capone provided him with a great salary, a mansion that covered the better part of a city block in downtown Chicago, a cook, a valet, a butler, a chauffeur, a limousine, all these benefits because Al Capone's life literally rested in Easy Eddie's hands. But over time, Eddie became less comfortable with his name because he had a son who was a junior, had the same name, and that son's name as he got in towards high school was also synonymous with Al Capone. And so he realized what the situation was and he gathered financial records. And some of you know that Al Capone was never in prison for any of the horrendous crimes that he was involved in, but he was committed uh, to, to life in prison because of tax fraud, tax evasion, because his own attorney turned over his financial records to federal authorities. He thought for once, I'm gonna do the right thing. And he figured that he could clear his name for the sake of his son, but he figured there'd be a price to pay, and there was, and it wasn't long after that that Easy Eddie was assassinated by 
one of Al Capone's operatives. You say, well, those are interesting stories, but what do they have to do with each other? <laughs> Butch O'Hara was Easy Eddie's son. I didn't tell you Eddie's last name. It was Eddie O'Hara. And the name that was synonymous with prostitution, wow. arson, murder, extortion, racketeering in Chicago, is long since forgotten. All we know now is that name was synonymous with courage and self-sacrifice, willing to lay down his life for his fellow man. Wow. And it completely changed the history of that family because one father one time decided to do the right thing and his son was watching. And when his son saw those Japanese planes, even low on fuel, he thought, what would my old man do? Oh man, it'd take a bullet if that's how this turns out, but he'd do the right thing. Yeah. And so our kids are watching us and matters of the heart take place in the most unexpected moments when our kids see us make a courageous choice, see us right or wrong, see us confess our sin, see us do the right thing with our finances, see us do the right thing with our spouse, our husband or our wife. And those make lasting indelible impressions that can change the history of a family for generations to come. And to me, those lessons are caught more than taught. So we teach the academics and we invite them to watch us live our lives courageously in the shadow of Christ and in the calling of the cross. Yeah. And generation are changed because of that. Yeah. We are to become the wives and the moms that we want our girls to become and the husbands yeah. and the dads that we want our sons to become. Exactly. And that's a high calling. It's not something that we can uh, take for granted, and it's not something to take lightly. That's a, a high calling that God has given us. I can't think of a better way to end. Um, thank you so much, Steve, for your encouragement this week. You've really encouraged me. I love your stories. I love what the Lord's done through you and is still doing through you and Jane um, and through the ministry that you have through five in a row. Um, I know you've impacted hundreds of thousands of homeschool families around the world. And so thank you for continuing to do what you do. We are so grateful uh, for you and for your ministry and for your obedience to the Lord. Thank you. It's been an honor, been a pleasure to be with you this week and we're excited for what you guys are doing and all the encouragement you're providing for homeschool families around the world. Thank you so much, all, all for God's glory. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. I hope you have a great rest of your week. We will be back with you on Monday with another fantastic guest. Until then, have a great afternoon. Bye. What we do at IEW is break through the, the noise of the grammar and the writing prompts, and we say, this is what you do, step by step. And I've witnessed it over and over again, both watching Andrew teach and hearing from parents, this is the best writing program. We've made it so easy and made it really affordable. So any mom can teach writing to their children using our course, and we guarantee it. To try three weeks of free lessons, visit IEW.com.